We are in a series entitled The Best is Yet to Come. We're on week 11 because there's a lot of good stuff coming. Some of the stuff's already happened. And uh, we, we got, we're having technical dis- difficulties here. And we are currently in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. So I can't, as I was saying yesterday, I can't go on too many rabbit trails. I, I, I mean, just staying on course can get you lost in the book of Re- Revelation. So, but we've seen a lot of things already. We've looked at Matthew 23, 24, and 25. We've looked at the book of Daniel. And we've seen these things that were prophesied and the things that were proclaimed that were going to happen. And we're now about to see what that looked like in the heavenly realm, in the spiritual realm, before it, just when it, when, it ha- when, it, when it happened, when it manifested in the natural. And this is exciting. Last week, we left off, and war was about to break out. And the reason war was about to break out was because God's kingdom was about to expand in the earth. There was going to be a shift there was going to be a shaking. There was going to be a change in authority in the earth. Because when Jesus Christ rose from the dead victorious and sat down at the right hand of the Father, God says, sit here until I make your enemies your footstool. And we're seeing a progression through the book of Revelation of that promise to the Son from the Father being manifest in the earth. And it's exciting. It is, it's so exciting. So John was in the throne room, right? John was in the spirit realm. He was in heaven. He was in the very throne room of God. There's, there's God sitting on the throne. There's flashes of lighting, pearls of thunder. You know, it, it's, it's just an amazing, amazing scene. There's the 24 elders, the, the, the four living creatures crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I mean, it's just awe-inspiring. And what he's entering into is into God's kingdom. He's entering into the throne room of the king. And Jesus Christ is there. And God has the book with seven seals on it. And no one is able to open up that book. And and John was so wanting the next, next phase of God's plan to manifest. He broke down into tears because no one was able to to open the book. And then one of the elders told John, wipe those tears, because there's one worthy, the lion from the tribe of Judah. He is worthy to open this book. And we've seen how Jesus Christ took the book from the Father and started opening these seals one by one, and these, these, these horses started coming getting ready for battle. They were getting their, their um, um, mission from God Almighty because judgments were about to, to come forth. And when we, we talked about judgments here, we're not talking about God judging sin. We're not talking about God judging people that are bad what, because that was already done. At the cross, God judged sin. There is no more There is no more sacrifice. There's no more atonement for sin. Jesus is the one and only atonement. Sin is taken care of. Jesus says it is finished. 
and no one's going to add to it, right? So when we think of these judgments, it's, it's, it's more like a king making a decree. It's more like, the, like for us, like I said last week, it's like the president of the United States making an, an executive order. He's making a judgment. He's decreeing, this is what's going to happen in my kingdom. So as these seals are broke, broken open and these, and these horses come forth, God's making a decree to them. You have, you have the four horses, and they were prepared for battle. The white horse having the power to conquer. The red horse having the power to take peace from the earth. The black horse having the power to make supplies and sustenance difficult to obtain. The ashen horse, or a lot of people call it the pale horse, having the power to kill with the sword, famine, pestilence, and wild beasts. And they were sent out to await the trumpets. See, this is a battle scene. They were sent out just like, just like you got to think of how, how, how king, kings would array their military for battle. You would have these people over here, and when this trumpet goes off, you flank this way. This one over here, when this trumpet goes off, the archers are, are to start shooting. You know, the catapults, whatever. You got to visualize it, how John would understand it in his day. And, and so, so these horses went out to prepare for battle, awaiting, awaiting for the trumpets. And the trumpets are about to blow. The trumpets are about to blow. And what you have to remember is that this book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is not the revelation of the Antichrist. This isn't the, the, this isn't the revelation of the end of the world and God destroying the world or, or, or bringing, bringing destruction upon the earth. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's a book, it's a, book, it's a revelation from heaven Revealing Jesus Christ as King and Lord over all. This is not a book of destruction. It's not a book of, of God's destruction on the evil world. But rather, it's, it's a kingdom. It's a kingdom that we've seen Jesus talk about. It's a, it started off as a, as a mustard seed. And it was the smallest in, in the whole garden. But then it grew up in to the largest tree in the garden. Amen. And God's kingdom is the largest kingdom in the earth right now and forever will be. It's that stone that came down and destroyed all the kingdoms of this world. And then it grew into a mountain and it continued to grow and grow, as Daniel said, until it filled up the entire world. This is awesome. This is the expanding of God's kingdom. As Jesus and his kingdom is revealed, for John, for John, all these things were in the future for John. All right? But for us, some of these things are in the past. And some of these things are in the future. And I'm talking as a book of Revelation as a whole. And you will see how this unfolds as we move forward through the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation also reveals three separate 
judgments and decrees. Now, I understand a lot of you guys, this, is, this, this type of teaching on the book of Revelation is very different, right? For the majority of you, I've had many people come up to me and say, I've never seen it that way, and it, it's refreshing. And, you know, and just yesterday, Doris told me, you're right. When I heard the book of Revelations um, preached, all I ever was told about was the Antichrist. But this is truly a revelation of Jesus Christ. See, any teaching, any teaching that you ever receive that is not focused solely on Jesus Christ is a false gospel. Do you understand that? Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the good news. He is the author and the perfecter. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the alpha and the omega. This whole book is about him. And you're going to see the great love, the great love the Father has for Jesus in just a, in, in just a moment. The great love that, that the Father has for Jesus. And you know what Jesus said? That God lo has loved us even as he has loved Jesus. That's amazing. The book of Revelation has three separate judgments or decrees that, that God makes as the kingdom of God grows, fills up, grows and grows and fills up the entire earth. And today, we're going to hopefully get through the first one. Amen? And we're going to see how that judgment came to pass in the earth. In Romans chapter 2, verse 9, it says, There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. I want you to notice the, the Jew first. Judgment, or the first decree in expanding God's kingdom, began with the Old Testament in the Old Covenant passing away in the house of God. It is the way that God, it is the way of God to first judge his own people. Why? Why, why would God judge his own people first? Because we have revelation of God. Right? The Jews, Israel, were the only people on the face of the planet that had a revelation of who God was. They had the prophecies and an understanding of what God was planning to do in the earth. They understood that there was a Messiah coming that would bring salvation to all humanity. They understood that Abraham, from Abraham's seed, singular, there would become one that would bless the entire world. And that we know that as Jesus Christ, right? As we enter the New Testament, which the majority of the Gospels are still under the Old Testament. Do you understand that? And when I say Old Testament and New Testament, I'm not talking about a division in a book. I, I, I was shocked when we, we started this church and people would say, oh, you're, you're Charis New Testament. Or they, they would say uh, Charis. Cherish New Testament church, so you only preach from the New Testament. 
And I'd have to explain to them, no, we don't just teach from the New Testament. We teach from the Old Testament and the New Testament. But when we preach from the Old Testament, we preach from a New Testament revelation. See, you have to understand that Testament covenant is Old Covenant and New Covenant. These are, these are things that God established in the Old Testament, Old Covenant with Israel, and in the New Testament with Jesus. <laughs> he established it with Jesus. And what's so great about him, the Father establishing the New Covenant with Jesus is that neither one of them are ever going to break that covenant. Hallelujah. And we just get, by his grace his, and his love and mercy, we just, by faith, we just enter in. That, that, that's awesome. I got, where are we? So as we enter in the New Testament, which the majority of, of the Gospels are still under the Old Testament, Jesus operated under the Old Covenant, right? Uh, until Jesus died and rose again from the grave, there, there was not a new covenant in the earth. He had to establish that covenant. And, and we, see, we see John the Baptist, much like Jonah, preaching repentance, not to a pagan nation, but to his own nation, Israel. He's, he's in the River Jordan, and he's preaching repentance to the Jewish nation, but unlike Nineveh that turned and repented, the majority of the Jews did not and would not and refused to. John declaring to them in Luke chapter 3, verse 7, he says, The axe was already laid to the root. John is proclaiming because of their hard heartedness and their stiff, neck, stiff necks that they had. I know you guys are never that way. He says that this kingdom is about to be taken away from you. There's, becoming, there's coming a change. That olive tree is going to be cut down, and a wild olive tree is going to be grafted in. And then Jesus shows up, and he picks up where John left off, telling his people that God had sent many prophets to them, but they had persecuted and even killed them. And you can see that in Matthew 23, 29 through 35. We, we talked about this stuff already. And then Jesus tells them this parable. And I believe that it lines up exactly with where we're going in the book of Revelation today. Look at this parable. In Matthew 21, verse 33, Jesus says, There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent servants to the tenants to collect the fruit. God created an earth. He put man in the earth to take care of the earth, to subdue it. Uh, be fruitful and multiply. We are stewards of this earth. In verse 35, it says, The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, stoned the third. 
Remember Jesus talking about what they did to the prophets? Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But, the sir, but, when, but the, when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. And what you have to understand through this whole thing is that there are two kingdoms in the earth. There's the kingdom of God, and there's the kingdom of Satan. There's, the king, there's, the, there's, there's God's kingdom of light, and there's the kingdom of darkness. There's the kingdom of love, and there's a kingdom of hate and fear. There's two kingdoms. So you have to understand, and we're going to see this in the book of Revelation, that there is a spiritual kingdom. And that spiritual kingdom has influence on the hearts and the minds of men, whether towards God or whether to the devil. They have influence on them. And, and, and what this parable is, is showing is that the evilness and the spiritual forces behind these tenants' motives. It's all about dethroning God. It's all about this earth is, is, is uh, there's a spiritual kingdom that's trying to take over this world. It started in, in Genesis. You understand that? Right? Yep. Okay. So, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So who do you think this is in the parable? Jesus. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Where was Jesus crucified? Outside. In verse 40, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Now understand, it's the spiritual forces, the kingdom of darkness God is, is trying to destroy. It's not people. You understand this? But if you are married to that kingdom, you will be swept up in that destruction because that is who you have pledged allegiance to. That is who you are tied to. See, that's what the new birth is all about. The new birth is you being translated from one kingdom and put into another. You are given a new spirit, not a spirit of the world, but the very spirit of Jesus Christ. You have been married, you have been welded, you have been baptized into God Almighty. When God looks at you, he sees his son. You are now sons and daughters of the Most High God. This is all, it's, it's awesome. And it's, it's, it's so amazing how the Bible just fits together like a hand in glove. I mean, everything just, when you understand it's all about Jesus, everything just starts, all the pieces start coming together. So he says, he says, what will he do to those tenants? 
He will bring those wretches, wretches to a wretched end. They replied, and he will rent the vineyard to, an, to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Who were the, who were the tenants of, of God up until this point? Who, who had the revelation of God's kingdom? Who represented the kingdom of God? Who was supposed to be cause, causing the world to be fruitful for a harvest for the king? The Jews. And it says he's going to take that kingdom away from them and give it to another that will produce a harvest in the end. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cor cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Jesus Christ was the stone that Israel, that, that was the whole kingdom was going to be built on, rejected. And that takes us to Revelation. So that whole parable, I want you to see how that Jesus was explaining something in the natural, and now you're going to see how it's played out in the spiritual. So in Revelations chapter 8, we're in, verse 2, and he says, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God. So something's being added to this, this throne room, right? These seven angels who stand before God. And seven trumpets were given to them. So something's about to take place. These trumpets they didn't have, ever have before. They were being handed something. So things, something new is about to happen. And John was seeing, was, he's seen this all unfold. And to understand what he saw, you have to envision, as I said, how war was done in ancient times. Right? The horses were out there. The battlefield was set. And here are these angels handed the trumpets. The king has his soldiers take their positions on the battlefront. And before the army would advance, a trumpet would be blown. And what usually happens very first, all the, all the shows that you've ever seen, with the first trumpet, what happens? Archers start shooting arrows. Archers start shooting arrows. And look at what we're told when the angel sounded the first trumpet. Verse 7. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet in verse 8, and it sounded like a huge mountain, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea was turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Verse 10. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on the third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star was Wormwood. 
A third of those waters turned bitter, and the people died from the waters that became bitter. Verse 12, the fourth angel um, sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, and a third of them turned dark, and a third of the day was without light, and a thir third of, of the night. So judgment began as these trumpets sounded. You, you got to understand something. What you're seeing right now in the spiritual, think about Elijah. Elisha. Remember Elisha and his servant? They were, they, were, they were surrounded by the enemy. And Elisha wasn't scared. But his servant was scared. And Elisha asked the Lord to open his eyes that he might see. And he opened his eyes to see in the spiritual realm and on the mountains that surrounded them was chariots and warriors of fire. We don't know if those chariots and horses and warriors were real or not or if they just represented God's strength there for Elisha. Because Elisha prayed that the enemy would lose their sight, and they did. And he led them all captive, the whole army, back to Israel as captives. And they regained their sight again. If God was to give that vision today, you know, we don't know. It might not be horses and chariots, it might be tanks and artillery, right? Something that we. We understand. So when we're seeing these things take place in heaven, you've got to understand, this is a, these are things that are happening in the spiritual realm, and they, are, they manifest, and we see how they're going to manifest in the natural. So judgment first began with God's people, the Jews. Because you have to understand something. Of all the offenses that they did to God, all the offenses throughout the Old Testament, their stiff-neckedness, their hardness of heart, they had a covenant of do good, get good, do bad, get beat. Right? All, all, of, all of the things that they did, if you put them all together, they still wouldn't be as offensive as what they did in rejecting Jesus Christ. And what they did in rejecting God's Messiah for them. And what they, in doing that, they not only rejected Jesus, they actually are rejecting God himself. They like their rules. They like their authority. They like they, they like the they're like a lot of Christians. They like the blessings, but they don't want that relationship. They, they, they want God to, to jump every time they have a need and pray, but they don't want to they don't want to spend any time at the Father's feet, at Jesus' feet. You do understand that the Jews is just a representation of the entire earth. And we're going to see that played out in, in, in the future. And that's why Paul, said, Paul says, 
don't get proud because just as simply as God cut out the, the, uh, the, the natural olive tree and grafted in a wild olive tree, he can cut out the wild olive, olive branch and put in the other olive branch again. See, this, is, this isn't about saying one person or one race or one people or one is, is greater than another. This is all about God. This is all about Jesus. And you're either, you're either in God's kingdom or you're, you are in your own kingdom, which isn't a kingdom at all. You're in the kingdom of darkness. And that's the war that be, is, is being played out. So this judgment, this judgment starts happening. And, and what makes these passages more difficult to interpret is the way that many Bibles interpret one small word in the Greek. It's the word, and I, I don't know how to pronounce it. I, I guess I could have looked it up, but G, G-E, G-E. This word in the Greek can be translated earth, it can be translated ground, or it can be translated land. And each Bible translator decided in the book of Revelation how they were going to translate and use this word according to their own interpretation, their own understanding of the text. So you understand that. So why is this important? Because when you look at the New Testament as a whole, you find that the majority of the time, this Greek word, G, G-E, ja, I don't know what it is, <laughs> is usually translated as land. As land. The promised land. The holy land. The... So, this, why is this important? Because in the book of Revelation, it makes a big difference. It makes a big difference if the word is translated consistently with the rest of the New Testament as land, or if they change the translation to earth. You understand this? Because when John is seeing what is taking place, it's not happening to the whole earth. It's happening to the land. In a land in particular, this is a battle involving the land of the Jewish people. So when the angel threw the fire to the G, that fire was thrown to the land of Israel rather than upon the whole earth. When, a, when, when John said a third of the G was burned up, he was actually saying one third of the land of Israel was burned up. And it ties in perfectly with what we've seen, it, it, what Jesus said, what history has showed us, and what Daniel prophesied. John was seeing a spiritual war taking place, and it had consequences in the natural realm. When John saw stars falling, falling along with the sun and moon darkening, he was seeing the judgment of God coming on the authorities that had previously been ruling Israel and representing God's kingdom in the earth. 
we, we already seen this. We had to use the Bible to interpret the Bible. And we went to Old Testament prophecies and, and used that prophetic language. And we've seen when it talked about stars falling and, and the sun being darkened, it was talking about authority of a ruling government was coming to an end. God was bringing an end to that ruling government. We've seen it in, in jo Joseph's dream, right? Joseph had a dream that the, sun, the star, 12 stars and the sun and the moon bowed down and worshipped him. That wasn't literally, they, his family didn't interpret that as, man, the sun's going to come down and worship you. The, you know, the stars are going to worship you. No, they interpreted it that it was his brothers, his family, even Abraham, or Jacob, Jacob, sorry about that, even Jacob, we're going to bow down and worship him. Right? So we have to, we can't just go, we have to, this is our number one interpretation tool. You see, you go look for like language in the Bible, and you, you say, that's what that means. You don't go off in fantasy world and make up your own stuff. This is, this is important. So when John's seen this, he's seen that God, God's judgment is, com is coming upon the authorities that had been previously ruling Israel and the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Spiritual authorities were, were being judged, and the con consequence, as a consequence, in the natu natural authorities were losing their positions and authority. Rulers were being removed from their position as hundreds of thousands of Jews suffered and died when these spiritual things took place in the spiritual realm. And if you, if you haven't been here, go back and listen to our, our, our messages of Jesus' prophecy and what happened in history when Rome destroyed Israel. From six, 63 AD or something to uh, 70 AD. There, there were so many... There were so many Jews that tried to escape um, Jerusalem that they crucified them around the entire city until there was no more places to put a cross. They were trying to escape the city because they were hung hungry. They were, they, they were doing cannibalism. They were killing their own children and eating them. You're gonna, this is what the book of Revelations is talking about in, the, in these first, first, this first battle scene. This takes us to Revelation chapter 9, verse 1. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I, and I saw a star that had fallen from sky to earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. These are spiritual things that John is seeing. In verse 3, and out of the smoke, locusts came down on, on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people. Who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So again, we cannot go off into fantasy land and, and just interpret for ourselves what these locusts are. We, 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 we need to let the Bible interpret the Bible 
and look at in context, in the context of which locusts are referred to in other passages of the Bible. The earliest mention of swarms of locusts is coming was in Exodus 10, when Moses released God's judgment upon the Egyptians, right? After that time, locusts were thought of as a symbol of judgment. Look at how the prophet Joel uses symbols like this when he's speaking about the destruction that came upon the Jews in the Old Testament times. In Joel chapter 4, verse 1, it says, What the gnawing locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust has left, the creeping locust has eaten. And what the creeping locust has left, the stripping locust has eaten. Joel isn't talking about locusts here. He was talking, he was talking about actual armies that came from the east and destroyed their land of the Jews. They killed hundreds of thousands of people and took the rest into captivity. In the same way, John is using, he's seeing this and using that terminology to describe the Roman armies that descended on Jerusalem like locusts. Our focus in the book of Revelation shouldn't be so much on the prophetic imagery, but how that imagery was played out in the natural. You understand that? You got, you got people that think these are helicopters and all this stuff. and it, uh, I, ain't, I ain't going down that road. But... Uh, so Revelation chapter 9, verse 13, the sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four um, horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said, the sixth, said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who were bound in the great river Euphrates, and four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of, of the mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard the number. So let me ask you, do you think that this is just happenstance? History tells us that the Roman general Titus used four legions in the war against Jerusalem in A.D. 70. And do you know where he had his legions? Where they were encamped before the Great War began? In a region of the Euphrates. So this Roman army with four legions Four legions encamped, history tells us, right there at the Euphrates River. And in the spiritual realm, you are seeing them being released for battle. Twice 10,000 times 10,000. Does that mean anything to you guys? It, it would to a, to a Jewish reader. Because they had a song. They had a song that's, to remember their great, the greatest hero of Israel, King David. And they would say, Saul has killed his thousands, 
David has slain his ten thousands. And what they are seeing is an army that's so great. It's ten thousand times ten thousand, twice ten thousand times ten thousand. And what this is proclaiming to the Jews is that there is no escape. There is no escape for them. John said that one-third of all people were killed. And we understand this to mean that one-third of all the Jews were killed. And we, we've seen that. And the, left, the rest were taken away into captivity. The armies came in from the great river Euphrates under the command of General Titus and slaughtered one-third of the Jews. And this was not the end. John seen how the rest of the people... And, and, this happened, and John seen that the Jews still would not repent. They would not repent. And, and the judgments continued. So in, in chapter 10, John watched the angel um, bringing further judge, judgments. The angel had a rainbow on its head and a face like the sun and, and feet like pillars of fire. He, he held a book that was open and placed one foot on the sea and one on the land in a crowd cried out with a voice like a lion's roar. Seven peals of thunder sounded, and John was told not to record what had been thundered out, but to seal them up, to seal up those things. So we've seen, so this is something John's not able to tell us. Then John was told to take the book of God's decrees and eat it, right? And he ate it, and, and it, it, it brings us to the book of Ezekiel and how God told Ezekiel to do the same things, which Ezekiel was to eat the book where there was written lamentations and mourning and woe. Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 10. John found it to be the same as Ezekiel found it. It was sweet at first like honey, and then it turned bitter in his stomach. Both Ezekiel and John were told that they would have to go and speak these words of prophecy to the people. They were called to declare coming judgments, right? This takes us now to chapter 11, where it makes it obvious that these battles up to this point occurred in the spiritual realm with destruction manifesting in the natural, in natural Israel, especially in Jerusalem. So here we are in Revelation chapter 11. You guys still following? It was given a reed, like a measuring rod, and was, it, and I was told to go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers. So J John literally was was measuring the temple at this time. But exclude the altar court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for forty-two months. So John's now told that the Gentiles are going to trample on the holy city for 42 months. Guess how long the war against the Jews in Jerusalem lasted? Exactly 42 months. Vespian was commissioned by Nero in February of AD 67 and the city fell in August of AD 70. 
Not only are, are, are we told directly that the war would, would destroy the holy city, the time reference give us, gives us clear confirmation that Revelation chapter 11 is about a war that destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD. See, it's, it's amazing when you just look at what history and apply it to what happened, what the Bible says is going to happen. In verse 3 of, of chapter 11, And I will point my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for a hundred or a thousand two hundred and sixty days, clothed in sackcloth. So who or what are these two witnesses? What, who are these witnesses that are, were presented in Jerusalem during her judgment? We're going to see. First, these two witnesses prophesied for 1,260 days. The same three and one-half years, the same length of time war in Jerusalem lasted. It varies a little from our calendar because, because the Jews' calendar is a lunar calendar, right? And, and with, with 30 days per month. So the Jewish calendar is different than ours. When you, when you do it according to the Jewish calendar, it's the same, same amount of time. And under the Mosaic law, two witnesses are required before a person could be put to death. These two witnesses were presented in Jerusalem witnessing to the impending destruction. Revelation chapter 11, verse 6 says, They have power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying, and they have the power to turn water into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Who had the power to shut up the heavens so it would not rain? Elijah. Who had the power to turn waters into blood? Moses. Now, even though we notice this association with these two witnesses, with Moses and Elijah, we need to broaden our understanding. Look at what John also told us about these witnesses in verse 4. They are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. The olive tree represents a source of oil or the anointing of God, and the lampstand represents the source of light or revelation and understanding. I have a question. What two witnesses, what were the two witnesses who gave witness to the Jewish people throughout all history? It was not only Moses and Elijah, but what both Moses and Elijah represented the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. Who was on the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah. And Peter wanted to set up three tabernacles, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. And a voice from heaven came and said, This is my son. Hear ye him. 
and Moses and Elijah disappeared. As much as Moses, the law, and the prophets gave us a revelation of God, they were inaccurate and not complete. Jesus is the only revelation of, Jesus, of, of God. And the New Testament, which is established on Jesus Christ with better promises, is what God always intended for the children of the earth, his children. The two witnesses, the two witnesses in Jerusalem is the voice of God given to his people through the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets were witnessing against the Jewish people. The Jews had been unfaithful to their covenant with God, and therefore judgment was coming upon them. Also, the law and the prophets were also the, test, the, testif the te testimony of the early church. The early church used the law and the prophets. They didn't have a New Testament written yet. They, were, they actually used the Old Testament law and the prophets to testify of who Jesus Christ was. And most, most Christians can't do that today. The apostles and believers, such as Stephen, spoke from the law and prophets, convicting many that Jesus Christ was the, that Jesus was the Christ. The law and the prophets, the two witnesses, were truly sounding throughout the streets of Jerusalem. They knew. What did Jesus tell the rich man? He says, even if someone raises from the dead, they're not going to believe. They had the law and the prophets. These parables are starting to come together and make sense. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 7, it says, Now when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes from the abyss will attack them and overpower them and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively, figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Look at how God is seeing what Israel became, what Jerusalem has become. He's comparing it with Sodom and Gomorrah. He's comparing it with Egypt. It's where Jesus Christ was crucified. And this beast, let's, go, let's keep going. For three and a half days, some from every people, tribe, and language, and nation will gaze upon their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who lived on the earth. See, that's what that kingdom of darkness sees with the law and the prophets, with the revelation of God. The law and the prophets, the revelation of God is torment to those that are lawless. So these spiritual forces, these, John is seeing things in the, spiritual, in the spiritual realm, how God sees it. And so, so the spiritual forces called the beast makes war on the two witnesses. What is the natural force that puts an end to Jerusalem and the temple and ends the Jewish way of life, almost completely wiping it out from existence? See, the, the, what was it? Rome. 
So what is this beast? Rome. And there's going to become a judgment on them too. There's three judgments. Three things that God declares in the book of Revelation. The Jews were no longer the mouthpiece to reveal God's will in the world. And why does it say that the world rejoices over the death? Because the law and the prophets bore witness to our sinfulness, to our brokenness, to our, to our pride. That's why those that are in the kingdom of darkness still try to remove the word of God any chance they have. Those that are chill trying to set up the kingdom of darkness in this earth, the first thing they go after is the word of God. They tell you you can't sing in church. They tell you you can't meet together in church. They tell you you can't do all these things. And it's an orchestrated attempt to put out the light in this earth. In verse 11, it says, But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. This is, he's seeing this in the spiritual realm. Remember. <laughs> Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. At that very hour, there were several earthquakes, and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake, and survivors were terrified and, and gave glory to God in heaven. We are told for three and a half, after three and a half days, the breath of God came back into these witnesses. The voice of the law and the prophets rose again, and these two witnesses were called back into heaven. But at the same time, there was a great earthquake. And, and, and we've seen that, that these earthquakes are a figurative way, a type of language that represents um, demolition and a transfer of authority. There's a shaking. Remember, we read this in Hebrews. You got. You guys got to stick with, with me. I can't go back through everything we taught already. This is prophetic language of a shaking that has taken place. There's a transfer of authority. The two witnesses were taken to heaven, but the law and the prophets continued to sound through the church. See, it was taken. The authority was taken. The old covenant was ending. The authority of God's kingdom was being taken from Israel and the Jews is being transferred into the church. The voice of the two witnesses, the voice of God was transferred to the church and the law and the prophets continued to bring anointing and light and revelation of God through the understanding of who Jesus Christ is and his finished work. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, it says, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. God had done it. God, that's how much God loves Jesus. They killed the son that was sent. And what what do you think the owner would do? Receive. Verse 15 and 17 show that when destruction of Jerusalem was complete, celebration broke out. 
celebration in heaven broke out. It, show, it shows that the kingdom had been taken away from the, from the Jews exactly as Jesus prophesied. And why did they celebrate it? Because it, that kingdom has now become the kingdom of Jesus Christ. God is expanding his kingdom in the earth. And, and, and the kingdom has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever and ever. And we are part of that kingdom. We are ambassadors of that kingdom. We have an inheritance in that kingdom. We are children of the king. In verse 16, 16 and 17, it says, the, 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 12, the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. I know we're going long, but this, 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 this is exciting. Everything. God is, it, it, God is bringing everything back to the, what he planned it to be. He is taking back what was stolen. The judgment of the Jews was complete. And Jesus, it says, but, not, but look, it says, look, it says, who has begun to reign? God Almighty has begun to reign in the earth. There's a resurrected man sitting on the throne. And, and this, this is controversial, but this resurrected man gives God direct access because he gave the earth to man. Do you under, understand this? Jesus Christ has become king. He has begun to reign, and this means that this was, this was only the beginning. And there would be a greater advancement of his kingdom to follow. Because what does it say? It says, he, he has taken your, you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Verse 18 tells us that how the nations, the nations were enraged. This was seen in, in the spiritual principalities and ruling spirits and how they manifest in the natural world. When they seen God win his battle with the Jews, they, they knew, this is in the spiritual realm, they knew that God would soon come to expand his kingdom over all regions of the world. They understood. See, they said if they would have known, if they would have known what would have, what, what was going to happen through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they would never have crucified our Lord. They, all of a sudden, they were getting a revelation. God is taking back the earth. And, and how did this manifest? This manifested in the natural by the Roman Empire becoming enraged and starting the persecution of the Christians in various intensities throughout history for the next 240 years. Bringing in God's next judgment. You don't mess with his bride. Bringing in God's next judgment in the, another expansion of the kingdom. 
and this is what we're going to look at next week. Now the worship team come back up. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 19, it says, Then God's temple in heaven was open. There's no, there's no more a, a temple on earth. The temple in heaven is now open. And in the spirit, you have direct access to the throne of God and his temple. You have, you, you have become the holy of holies because Holy Spirit lives within you. This is, this is awesome. It was open, and within the temple we was seen the Ark of the Covenant. And he writes, he writes his laws and statutes on our hearts, not on stone. And he, and he, he sees the Ark of the Covenant, and there, there came flashes of lightning, rubblings, peals of thunder, and an earthquake, and a severe hailstorm. Chapter 11 ends with God replacing the temple on earth with a new temple in heaven because the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. There was a change in authorities. The old temple was gone. A new was open. There was a new high priest. There was a new heavenly temple. And Jesus Christ was crowned king and priest forever and ever and ever. Amen. Hallelujah. Do you see how good news this is? Do you see how God, God is utterly in control. When you see the calamity that's happening around you, be a good cheer. The early church, first century church, seen calamity around them. But God is in control. God, God... <laughs> We make our own decisions. We have our own free will. But in the end, God reigns. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. I'm tired. Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your great love. We thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. And Father, we thank you that, 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 that the perfect relationship with prophecy, the Bible, and history how we see that this is taking place, that God's kingdom is expanding. And we are so privileged, Lord. We are so privileged to live in that kingdom now, in this time and in this day. Help us. Give us a revelation of our place in this kingdom. Give us an understanding how we can witness to this world of the kingdom of God, of God's goodness, of his grace, his mercy, his love, and his desire for all men to be saved. Heavenly Father, help us to understand that we are not of this world, but we are in this world. And our resources do not come from this world. They come from our kingdom and our King, Jesus Christ. And we are told that every single promise in Christ Jesus has already received its amen. So be it. And Father, as we close here tonight, as we close here today, we're going to be singing Waymaker. Jesus Christ is the Waymaker.
And if you're here this morning and you and and you are experiencing storms of life, if you're if you're experiencing torment, if you if you're struggling with fear, if you're if you're struggling with sickness in your body, if you're struggling with pain in your body, as we sing this song, allow us to come together with you. Come forward and we will pray with you and we will expect the promises of God to be manifest in this earth. So that, that is open to you. If, you. if you need prayer, if you need ministry, we're here for you. And we're willing to see our king, our king move. We thank you. We love you. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved highly favored and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.